I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Joshua. We're going to be reading Joshua in chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, then you will find that on page 171. Page 171, Joshua in chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up. And they went ahead of them. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's, of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, Choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerithan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help for understanding and applying his word. Holy Father, thank you for this table that you've spread before us, this feast of food to nourish 
our souls. We do not live on bread alone, but we live on every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so now I pray that you would grant us life, that you would sustain us and nourish our faith, that you would help us to understand what it is that you are seeking to say to us through this passage, and you will help us to apply these things to our lives so that when we walk out of here, we're different than when we walked in. By your grace, through the power of your spirit, at work through your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we need context, right? Those of you who know me, those of you who hear me preach most every Sunday know that what I like to do is preach straight through a book of the Bible, start in chapter 1, verse 1, and preach right through. And the reason I like to do that is because I like the context. And when I, when I, whenever I preach from a passage where I haven't started in chapter 1, verse 1, I feel like someone who's just dropped in in a parachute, right, and just landed somewhere. The first thing I need to do is look around and get my bearings and figure out where, where, where have I landed? What is around me? And that's what we need to do now. We need to get a little context for Joshua 3. We landed in the middle of a story. So here's the context. The Israelites are about to return to the promised land after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. It's a long time of being away. And after 40 years of camping in the desert, that's a long time to be camping. Now, I, I, I know that our cadets here know all about camping. I know that they enjoy getting away together and going camping. It's fun to camp. It's fun to cook food over, over an open fire. It's fun to sit around in the dark and tell stories. It's even fun to sleep in a sleeping bag on the ground in a tent. It's fun for a little while. It's not, I promise you, it's not fun anymore after 40 years of it. It's not fun. We all know, right, the worst part of camping, camping is fun, but the worst part of camping is when you got to tear everything down and repack everything, and it's early in the morning and everything is damp with dew. That's the worst part, right? Well, imagine doing that over and over and over again. Thousands of times over the course of four decades, spending your whole life camping. I mean, that is almost unbearable. But now, Joshua 3, this journey appears to be coming to an end. Okay? The Israelites have traveled east from Egypt. They, this journey started in Egypt, and they traveled east. They came south of the Promised Land, they didn't stop there. They didn't, they're not coming directly from the south north up into the promised land. They kind of overshot the promised land a little bit. And now they're to the east. They're standing to the east of the promised land, and they're going to travel west and go right into it. But along the east border of the promised land stands the Jordan River. How are they going to cross the Jordan into the land of promise. They don't know. We know because we just heard it, but they don't know. Imagine that you're them. And that brings us to the story this morning. We're told the Israelites rise early in the morning. They set out from Shittim to arrive at the Jordan. Some of you arose early in the morning and have already traveled a great distance just to be here with us, and we're glad 
that you did. This journey that they took on this date, it's about 16 kilometers. They're walking 16 kilometers. With a group that size, I think it's safe to say that that hike took the full day. Now, I suppose, I expect, some of the young men, such as yourselves, if we were doing this journey... (laughs) Probably, probably ran ahead, right? You got the energy for it. You can make it 16 kilometers, no big deal. You ran ahead and prepared dinner for everyone else, right? Isn't that what you would do if you got there early? So the cadets, the young men ran ahead. They made dinner for the rest of us who are old and slow or for the infants or people who took a while. And uh, it took the rest of us all day to cover that land. And when we got there, we're tired, we're hungry, We're standing on the banks of the Jordan. We're looking over across. We're looking into the promised land. We're not there yet. And we're wondering, all right, what now? Well, what happens, what now, is that we spend three days there camping, still camping, more camping. Then Joshua gathers people together, and it is explained, when you see the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the Levites, I want you to follow it. Okay, that's your guide. I want you to follow it, but, 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 but not too close. Keep your distance. About 2,000 cubits, you know what that is? It's about a kilometer. Keep about a kilometer away from it. All right, the Ark of the Covenant. What, what is the Ark of the Covenant? And why do we need to stay away from it? Right, well, the Ark is a rectangular box. It's a box. It's a box that is uh, about two feet wide, about two feet tall, and about four feet long. And inside of the box, well, we know what was inside of the box because we were already told. What was inside of the box? Remind us again. Anybody? Yep. The Ten Commandments are in there. Yep. Aaron's staff. Well done. And manna. That's right. Those are the three things that are inside of that gold box. And that represents... God's presence, his protection, his provision, and his guidance. All of that is represented by the ark. His presence with his people, his protection of his people, his provision for his people, and his guidance to his people. All of that. And the requirement to stay away from it is a recognition that God, our creator, is holy and perfect and glorious, and we, his creation, are not. God Almighty is a consuming fire, and God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be approached on our own terms, in our own way, but on his terms and in his way. And so after telling the people to follow the ark at a good distance, Joshua says this. Here's your verse. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will, not might, that was pointed out to us already, not might, but will, Tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. That is the theme verse for this year. The the cadets this year have focused on the word amazing, rightly so, focused on the word amazing. There is also another theological word tucked into that verse, the word consecrate. What does it mean for the Israelites to consecrate themselves because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things? Well, consecration is a specific thing back then. It's a ritual, right? They would have known what to do. They grew up doing it. It's a ritual that involved bathing, 
cleaning your body, washing your clothes. These are things you're not supposed to have to do when you're camping, right? But they, they did it. Bathed, they took a bath, they washed their clothes, and then they abstained from regular activities. They consecrated themselves. They washed themselves, purified themselves. It's symbolic, a symbolic act of purification, symbolically done to express the fact that since God is holy, his people also should be pure and holy. They were to consecrate themselves in anticipation of the fact that God was going to do amazing things, wonderful things, miraculous things in their presence. Then the Lord tells Joshua to tell the priests to take the ark and to walk into the middle of the Jordan. Then Joshua tells the people, this is how you will know What's about to happen to us tomorrow, this is how you're going to know that the living God is among you and that the Lord will certainly drive out the inhabitants of the promised land before you. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. God's going to lead the way here. The ark will go into the Jordan ahead of you and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as those priests set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. That's the amazing thing that they had to consecrate themselves for. And you know what happened. The people waited one kilometer away like they were supposed to. The priests carried the ark into the river. As soon as their feet touched the water's edge, the water stopped flowing and piled up in a heap upriver at a town called Adam. That town was about 20 miles upstream from where they were, from where they crossed. And the people crossed the river on dry ground, and we're told the people passed by the ark. That verb, passed by, is important. That verb, passed by, implies proximity. It implies nearness. You don't say, I passed by the ark, if it was one kilometer away from you which seems to indicate that they were allowed to draw near to the ark in order to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. The ark, the presence of God, was like a gateway into the promised land. That feels important to me. We're going to come back to that in a minute. That's the story. As we said, your theme this year is amazing. That is a reference to the amazing things that God does in this passage. And that theme is a reminder that God is still God. God has not changed. And God still does amazing things. And we should expect that. And of course, God has not changed. But people are also still people. People haven't changed all that much in 4,000 years either. And so while God continues to do amazing things, people still find ways to explain those amazing things away. Right? For example, you recall the place where the river stopped flowing was upriver about 20 miles, the city of Adam. Adam was a place that was known for massive landslides. And sometimes those landslides would go right across the Jordan and stop it from flowing. Now I'd be willing to bet there was at least one person who crossed the Jordan River, and said, hey, this has nothing to do with the ark. This has nothing to do with God. I bet there was just a landslide up north at Adam. 
And that's why we're able to cross on dry land. You see, if you want to explain away the miraculous and amazing works of God, you will always find a way to do that. On the other hand, if you're open to seeing and experiencing the amazing work of God in and through His creation, you'll see His fingerprints everywhere. And it will bring you to your knees in praise and adoration. It will build up your faith, and it will serve as a constant reminder that God is with you, and God is for you. God is with you, and God is for you. Which is, that's the effect that this miracle was supposed to have on the people of Israel. God explicitly says, I will do this so that you will know that the living God is among you and that he will drive out your enemies before you. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said it like this. I, I looked through my library and I couldn't find the quote, but my memory is that he's the one that said this. Uh, he says, if you're walking in a forest... And you come across, you randomly just come across a beautiful shining silver ball just there in the forest. You'd stop, you'd look at it, you'd wonder about it, you'd appreciate its beauty. You'd ask yourself, who's the artist that made such a beautiful object and placed it here in this forest? And yet, why do we not stop in our tracks and ponder the same question every time we see a tree in the forest? Who's the artist? that made such a beautiful object and placed it here in this forest? We should be asking that question all the time. You see, the, the, the person of faith sees the amazing works of God everywhere, and he or she looks around, sees the work of God, and all of creation provides that person with the opportunity to pause and to praise and to believe that God is with us and God is for us. But a person lacking faith simply sees trees and rivers and rocks without seeing their amazing creator. So what's the miracle here? Well, the obvious miracle is that a river stopped flowing and piled up in a heap so that the people of God could cross into the promised land. Let me point out a slightly less obvious miracle. The unholy people of God were permitted to approach the presence of a holy God and they were not obliterated in the process. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. They passed by the ark in order to enter the promised land. Do you know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of the fact that this is not the last time that God himself is going to stand in the middle of the Jordan River and allow his people to enter the promised land. You remember? And the word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God came and walked among us and revealed the glory of God to us. And we read this, it says, and then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him and said, let it be so for now. Let it be so for now, John. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented, and John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. 
When the people were passing from slavery into the promised land, God stepped into the Jordan River in the form of the ark and cleared a path so that everyone could cross. He was the first one in. He was the last one out. He was the gateway. And it was the miracle of his presence that stopped the water. And his presence was the gateway into the promised land. 1,400 years later, God himself stepped into the Jordan River in order to submit himself to the sacrament of baptism. What was he doing there? Providing a way whereby an unholy people could approach a holy God. Opening up a gateway from slavery into the promised land. And every step that he took after stepping out of that Jordan River brought him one step closer to the cross. Do you remember why God did the amazing thing of stopping the water of the Jordan with the ark? He says, I will do this so that you will know that the living God is among you, so that you will know that he will drive out your enemies before you. And why did God step into the Jordan in order to be baptized? He did that so that we can know that the living God is among us, and so that we can know that he will drive out our enemies before us. Jesus was baptized to demonstrate his solidarity with us sinners. Despite the fact that he himself was completely and totally without any sin that needed to be forgiven or washed clean. But he went before us. He stepped into the river first. First one in. And then he picked a fight with death. Our ultimate enemy. And he defeated our enemy. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us then draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed clean with pure water." What were the Israelites told to do the night before they crossed the Jordan and entered, passed by the presence of the Lord? They were told, consecrate yourselves, wash yourselves, purify yourselves, prepare yourselves, get ready. Get yourself clean. Because tomorrow, the Lord's going to do amazing things among you. And you don't want to bring your impurities into the presence of the Lord. That was a symbolic washing. The blood of bulls doesn't really take away sins. Washing with water doesn't really purify us on the inside. But Christ has done what the law could not do. Christ has done what the sacrificial system could not do. Christ has done what our own efforts and our own good works cannot do. He stood in our place. He died for our sins so that we could be washed clean. And we could therefore have confidence to enter into the promised land to enter into the presence of God. He has consecrated us with his own blood. That's the most amazing thing that God has ever done. And you and I are participants in that if we will receive it by grace through faith. So that's the one big amazing thing that this story, this amazing story is pointing forward to prophetically and that was fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus. But what about other amazing things? 
Does God still do amazing things today? Absolutely he does. That's not the question. The question is whether or not we have eyes to see it, ears to hear it, hearts to believe it. And how are we going to get eyes to see and ears to hear? By preparing our hearts and minds to experience God. Remember, the night before Joshua told the people, prepare yourselves. God's going to do an amazing thing. That's not a question. He will. He will. You prepare yourselves. Why? So you can experience it. Did you prepare yourself before coming here this morning? What, might, what, what am I even talking about? What might that look like? Did you come here expecting that God was going to do an amazing thing? We've been, we've been consecrated. We've been washed clean of our sins. Right? That's already been done through the blood of Christ. Right? We are prepared. We are consecrated. For us, under the new covenant... To prepare ourselves to experiencing our amazing God means, let me quote Hebrews again, laying aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and running with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You, you, you can't look to Jesus if you're looking at something else. So prepare yourself. You can't experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit if your life is already full of sin, so prepare yourself. The amazing things that God does, and He does them all the time, will go right past you unless your eyes are open and your heart is prepared. Did you come this morning prepared to experience the power and the glory of God Almighty, the Lord of the earth, as we gather in His house to worship His name? If not... Well, then no wonder it just feels like another meeting to you. No wonder Sunday morning just feels like an interruption to a perfectly good weekend to you. If you don't come expecting God to do amazing things, if you don't come having prepared yourself to experience God at work in amazing ways when his people gather to worship him. I, I remember hearing a story of a, from a man. This man attended a worship service and, and found himself seated right next to a, a theologian, a, a, a man of God, a guy named Gordon Fee. He was sitting right next to him in the church service. Gordon Fee, uh, he's passed away now, but he was a great scholar. He's written a lot, of, a lot of books. And so these two men are sitting, and they're listening to this sermon. And the one man, not Gordon Fee, but the other guy, had a very critical heart. He was thinking, oh, this guy, this pastor doesn't know what he, he must be new, or he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is, a, this is an awful sermon. And, and he looked over next to him at Gordon Fee, and Gordon just had tears welling up and spilling out of his eyes and running down his cheeks. And afterwards, the man asked Gordon Fee, he said, what were you so moved by during that sermon? And Gordon Fee looked him in the eye and he said, the people of God gathered in the house of God, listening to the word of God, how could you not be moved by that? You see, Gordon Fee came expecting amazing things. He came prepared to experience amazing things and therefore he did experience amazing things. What did you come this morning expecting? 
No wonder so many people place such a low priority on starting their week at church in the presence of other believers, worshiping God Almighty. It's because they don't expect anything amazing to happen. And so it doesn't. Not for them. It's just another meeting. And who wants another meeting? Cadets, are you expecting, expecting God to work through the cadets' ministry this year? Are you, are you expecting amazing things to happen through the cadets' ministry this year? Have you consecrated yourself? Have you prepared your heart? Are you expecting the miraculous? Let me suggest I think you should be because God is still the Lord of all the earth. This could be a life-changing year for you if your eyes and your ears are open for it. Ebenezer, let me ask you, what, what, what sort of expectations do you carry into each new day? What would happen if every night before you went to bed, you read and believed Joshua 3.5? <laughs> every night, you listen to God's word telling you, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. What sort of amazing things would we experience collectively if we took that seriously? You know, there's only one way to find out. So many Christians suffer from what I call low expectation syndrome. <laughs> right? You come to church on Sunday morning, low expectations. You go about your day during the week, low expectations. Right? Just trying to get through it. Now, just to clarify, I do believe in supernatural miracles. I do. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about right now. Remember, trees are just as amazing as shiny silver orbs. What I'm suggesting is that God is constantly doing amazing things all the time. And we need to consecrate ourselves, prepare our hearts, and see it with the eyes of faith. Now, how do I know that God will do amazing things? That seems a little presumptuous, doesn't it? Well, I know that because God has done amazing things. He has done the amazing thing of allowing sinful people such as myself and yourself to draw near to him as his redeemed children. And he has promised that he will never leave us and never forsake us. And that tells me that he will continue to do amazing things. And so cadets and Ebenezer and everyone that can hear my voice, consecrate yourselves. Prepare yourselves, because tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among us. Let's pray together. God, you are amazing. You are amazing. You're amazing all the time, and you do amazing things all the time. And sometimes we see it, and so often we don't. And so often we're so focused and involved in ourselves, in our own wor world, that we forget to look up and to see a big vision of your glory. And we forget to expect the God of the universe, the Lord of the earth, to do amazing things. Lord, we believe that you are with us and that you are for us. We believe that. You have demonstrated that. You have promised it, and you have proved it. So why would we not think that you would continue to do amazing things in our midst? We know that you will, and I pray that you would give us eyes to see it. Lord, I pray specifically for our cadets. We thank you for this ministry. 
And we thank you for the good work that you're doing in these young men. We thank you for the good work that you're doing through these counselors and the sacrifices they make to serve our kids. And we pray, Lord, that you will do amazing things in the lives of these boys. In Christ's name, amen.